Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Collegiately speaking. Walks into the end zone. Touchdown. to the end zone. This is Collegiately Speaking. With the voice of Northwestern football and basketball, Dave Enning, and former Northwestern star quarterback, Dan Persa, is Collegially Speaking. Let's go. Oh, I, I miss hearing Dan betting that he can throw that ball through a brick wall, or whatever our open used to say. <laughs> well, you know, we've all, we've all aged a little bit, right, Dan? true it's true unfortunately <laughs> welcome to another season of collegiately speaking our weekly look at college football the big 10 and focusing on the northwestern wildcats dave Ennett with former northwestern quarterback dan persa great to welcome you back for another season uh, dan like a lot of us made the trip over to dublin for the wildcat season opener against the nebraska Cornhuskers. i i, I assume you found something to do over there didn't you yeah, we managed, uh, you know, bopping around a little bit here and there. But no, it was it was a great trip. I, I spent a lot of time with uh, family and and former teammates I haven't seen in a while. So, um, I mean, w- what is this? A great couple of days, and then culminated with a great win and just an awesome atmosphere, which I'm sure we'll get into. I, I ran into a lot of former players over that. I, I never ran into you, which was kind of surprising. But I did see a lot of your former teammates around. Uh, how many of them? do you think made the trip over there how many guys do you did you run into that maybe you didn't expect to see yeah you know not as many as i would think but i mean it's a, it's a long trip oh, so yeah. i was over there with a couple a lot of guys that i played or a couple guys that i played with uh drake dunsmore jeremy ebert and and jack denardo um and i ran into a couple guys from kind of the the early 2000s and a couple guys in the 90s um and then some some a little bit older than that but um, yeah, it was just it was just great to be over there, and, and it really had kind of a, a bowl game atmosphere. Um, and, and the people that I've I've talked to thought it was you know much better than that, frankly. Um, so, like I said, just a, just a great trip. Yeah, you know what? I was thinking that too, Dan, and, and a lot of people have asked me. I'm sure you've gotten this question: What was it like? What was it? Uh, what was it like being there for this? And and you went to bowl games as a player. I've done many as a broadcaster, and there were some similarities that. The difference was that this was at the very start of the season. You go into a bowl game, you kind of know what your opponent's like, you know what your team is like that got you to the bowl. But you go into this game, you really don't know what either team is going to be like. Nebraska had almost two dozen transfers. Northwestern had almost a dozen uh, transfers. Then you factor in freshmen who might uh, have an impact. And it's uh, it's really kind of an unknown. And I, I think that kind of added to the mystery going into the game. And also, I think, to really the, uh, I guess, the fulfillment a lot of people felt by the way Northwestern played in that game. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another factor with the the way it was so special was that, you know, with bowl games, they're, they're kind of thrown together and you're scrambling for travel and it's around the holidays, so not a lot of people can make the trip. You know, I think you had a lot of time to plan for this trip and, and make arrangements and, and and different plans and, and lodging and whatnot. So I think just logistically, it made a, 
it a lot more easier than than any bowl game, frankly. Um, and then, yeah, to your point, um, the the unknowns going into the game, and then you know, I just thought it was it was one of the more fun games I've ever been to, uh, you know, at any level. Um, just the the atmosphere, obviously, the free beer health. Um, you know, the back and forth, <laughs> the back and forth between the game and then just the way it ended. I mean, it was just, it was just so exciting. I, Steve Schnurr was actually sitting a row behind me. So we were, we were getting that, getting after it pretty good. Um, it was just, it was just a, a perfect long weekend. You know, it, it's a great point. Now I'm going to ask you later on, so think about this, but the highlight aside from the game, if you pick one thing that was the highlight for you of your time in Dublin, but, you know, it, it, everything else aside, the game itself, uh, regardless of who won the game, it was really a tremendously entertaining football game. And that's, that's something that you can certainly uh, find mistakes that both teams made. You can find some things that maybe you got to clean up. But I think overall, you look at it in terms of pure entertainment value compared to some of the games I've watched in week zero and week one of college football. I, I put this one right up there. No, I agree. And, and to your point, typically, you know, this early in the season, games are just really sloppy or one-sided and, and teams, you know, may or may not be ready to play. Um, but this, this game was probably all the Ireland and, and all the fans there could have, could have hoped for, right? Very exciting back and forth, pretty sharp play, frankly, by both quarterbacks and you know, not a ton of mistakes. Obviously, there was a couple interceptions late from the Nebraska quarterback, but you know, I thought I thought he played really well. It was just it was a very well executed game, which made it you know that much more fun to watch. No doubt, no doubt. Let's bring in my, my partner in Northwestern football on WG at Radio, Ted Albrecht. He was only in Dublin for I think about uh, twenty four thirty six hours, but he more than made up for it. I mean, the guy was everywhere. He was spotted all over Dublin during that time. <laughs> Uh, and and I think also took a side trip to the Cliffs of Moher and, and other parts of, of Ireland, uh, and yet managed to be there for the kickoff on Saturday evening. So that was pretty good, Ted. Dave, that's excellent. You're, you're such an exaggerator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Well, you, you heard what Dan was saying. What, what was the highlight for you? Well, I think there's a three or four things you have to do to win close games. Number one, you have to win the turnover battle. We were plus three. We had no turnovers. Penalties, we had 865, but two of them were strategic delay of game penalties. If, you, if you're in the category of four penalties, maybe five, for 50 yards or less, that is where you're not going to be in an, in an area of unforced errors. Control your penalties. Last thing is how do you control the football? Will you run the football to control the clock? And that, I think, was a key element. We ran for 214 yards. And then the last thing that no one wants to talk about, it's not sexy, it's boring, and that is special teams. And you look at at Luke Akers did from UCLA transfer. He had five punts on the third series, the fifth, the sixth, the eighth, and the 14th series. He hit at the one-yard line, 17-yard line, seven-yard line, 12, and with just under seven minutes to go in the game, we controlled the clock. We got first downs, and then after we made them burn their three timeouts, we kicked it inside the five. Now your opponent, the field has been flipped, and when the field is flipped, the opposing OC's playbook is shrunk to about 10% at best. And in all those five series, we made the opposing offensive coordinator 
go to the well, try to find something to get himself out of his own back end. So there's 14 series in the game for Nebraska, and at least eight of them, there was no return. That means there's three kickoffs, no return. So we kept them to no return yardage. We flipped the field five times on punts, and then we had a heads-up play by Andrew Clark on an attempted onside kick to put one or two nails into the coffin of Coach Fitz. He couldn't pound him in. Ha-ha. Well, okay, let's talk about the onside kick. Dan, I've seen a lot of onside kicks uh, in in my years covering college football, and sometimes they've, they've used the element of surprise. Uh, it's worked very well, but it just seemed strange. And I, and I understand the thinking behind it. Look, I mean, uh, he knows he's got Northwestern on the ropes at that point after scoring two touchdowns in, what, a little over a minute. Now you onside kick, you get the ball again at midfield. You have a chance to really kind of finish this thing off. But the downside is that the odds of getting an onside kick – uh, of recovering it successfully are not as good as as it's going to be if you just kick it deep. And it, it's a tough play to execute. And if it doesn't go your way, then you're giving your opponent a short field and a chance to get right back in. And I think that's what probably caught everybody uh, by by much surprise, except obviously for Andrew Clare, who was right on top of the ball. But, uh, you know, really a, just, just one of those calls that you better hope it goes your way. I mean, that's the only way to put it. Yeah, you know, I think I don't have as, as much problem with, with the call, frankly, as, as probably a lot of people do, right? Because if, if they get that, um, mm-hmm. the game's over, right? So yeah, it'd be very tough. Their way. Yep. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, their offense is playing well. I just I don't understand kicking it at a at a running back, you know, right at him um, when it really wasn't set up well, right? So I think if you're kicking at a guy with with a number fifty on his jersey that's a freshman, maybe right, but you're kicking it at a six year senior who's a third down back that has some of the best hands on the team. Like, what, what was what are you thinking there? Right. Um, so again, I don't have a, a, a the call is definitely questionable. I don't think it's like that egregious because right. if they like I said if they do get it, the game's pretty much over. Um, but you know it was just poorly executed, and, and to, to Ted's point, it was just another kind of tip of the cap for the Northwestern Northwestern special teams group to say, hey, look, we're all over this. We're we're going to do our part, and you know, like Ted said, it's not sexy, but um, it was a, a huge in the game, the special teams played a huge role in winning the game. You know, Ted, I mentioned uh, before you join us, I talked about the transfers. Both these teams uh, had transfers. Everybody's got transfers now. It's nothing unusual, but Nebraska, almost two dozen transfers on their roster, and uh, Northwestern, I think, 11 transfers on the team this year. So there are a lot of unknowns going into it, but Couple of you look at Northwestern's transfers, and you and I talked about this on the broadcast. They've been strategic. One guy who had an immediate, immediate impact is Donnie Navarro. Uh, like uh, on that first drive, Northwestern had making a big catch, and then later catching a touchdown pass. And he's your punt return man as well. This guy played for Illinois. Uh, he's from the Chicago area, and uh, it's it's good when you get somebody local and somebody you're familiar with who can step in and, and help you right away. It looks like he's going to be that guy. Yeah, Dave, and I interviewed him for our pregame, and we're going to have him on just before kickoff. 
And, you know, he is a really, really lovable kid. Everybody really likes him in the locker room. Um, you know, his his position coach calls him the Swiss Army knife because he can do so much, as you just described. Started at Balpo, went to Illinois, walked on, had a pretty decent little career there, especially in 2019 where he had 27 receptions for almost 350 yards. But he came here. And they gave him a scholarship. They knew how valuable he could be as an upperclassman with all this kind of experience. And you're right, Dave. He only had four catches for 29 yards, but he had two big ones. Early in the game, right in front of the Nebraska bench for a first down. And then, of course, that beautiful little post pattern where, you know, Danny Persa, you know, when you're at the end line of the end zone, you can only throw it one place, and that's high where nobody else can catch it but the receiver. It was a perfect, perfect throw by Ryan Holinsky. Yeah, he did a great job, yeah. no doubt. Go ahead, Dan. No, I was just going to say, I think I think he, he almost looked running around out there like like Austin Carr, frankly, just his, his mannerisms and, and his, wow. his great catches, tough catches, using his hands, just really, really soft on, on punt returns. I think he's going to be really valuable throughout the season. That's a that's a, a great comparison and really high praise as well. All right, real quick, Ted Duke at Ryan Field this Saturday, the home opener. And so you're coming off this high, this trip to Ireland. You get this big win over a Big Ten West opponent. Now what do you do with it against a Duke team that's feeling pretty good too, coming off a 30 to nothing win over Temple in their opener last Friday? Well, they, they, Duke definitely played a lesser opponent. I think Temple is having a very tough spell right now in their program, mm-hmm. and I, I think everybody expected them to win by a comfortable margin. And the thing that you have to fear, it's it's been 2015 of us playing Duke. That was the last time we led it in a game against Duke, 2015. And that's the one thing that we don't want to have happen. We don't want to be lethargic. We don't want to sit on our laurels. We want to say, oh, what a great victory, and then we're going to have a week two that's miserable. We need to get up. And I I tell you, I'll just say this. When I get on the bus and left to go back to the hotel in Dublin, right after the game, they just threw me on bus number two. Come on, Ted, let's go. And I'm in with all the players, and I'm I'm in shotgun. And guess what? It was a 15-minute ride, and halfway through, they started whispering about Duke. And I was at practice yesterday. I asked a couple players who were, you know, not practicing, hey, what about Duke? And I think they're focused on not making the mistake they've made in years past, just recently. All right. Well, that sounds good. It's going to be a great day Saturday weather-wise. Should be a great day for a home opener. Uh, Ted, thanks. I will see you there. Okay, Dave. Can't wait. Danny Purser, you're one of the greatest quarterbacks in NU history. You know that, don't you? <laughs> oh, definitely not. Thanks for thanks for joining, Ted. All right. Okay. All right. See ya. Ted Albrecht. Yeah, that's uh, it has been kind of a, a tricky game for the Wildcats. And last year, they got down big early in a game in Durham. And uh, and they were coming back. Andrew Marty got hurt. They ended up ended up a seven point game, and it certainly didn't feel like it was a game that was anywhere near that close. A new coach at Duke, uh, Mike Elko, was defensive coordinator at Texas A and M, and before that at Notre Dame, and before that at Wake Forest. A lot of experience on uh, that side of the ball, and offensively, 
uh, a guy you know very well, Dan Persa, and that's uh, their offensive coordinator, Kevin Johns, who was on the staff at Northwestern twice, including during the time you were playing for the Wildcats. Yeah, Coach Johns is a great coach. I think um, he's he's always had a, a lot of prowess in the passing game, and, and pretty much wherever he's been, whether it's Indiana uh, and most recently Memphis, he's had a pretty potent passing attack. Um, again, the guys that played for him and and you know with him know that's that's not an accident. He's just a really sharp coach. A lot of I think a lot of people thought he'd have a, a good shot at, at um, replacing Coach McCall when he left. Um, but I think it's he's he's a, he's a problem, and their quarterback is uh, Riley Leonard had a, had a great game last week. He looked pretty sharp, you know, showing shades of of Daniel Jones, which gives Northwestern fans a little bit of heart palpitations. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I think, and and you also know Adam Cushing is the the offensive line coach. So right. this this is a team that's going to have a lot of familiarity with um, maybe not the scheme as much anymore, but you know, just the way Coach Fitz is going to want to approach the game. Watching their game of tempo, they were certainly playing with a lot of tempo. So this is, this could come down to which team is better conditioned in the fourth quarter. I know the Wildcats take a lot of pride in that, so so we will see. I want to bring in a, a good friend of both of ours, Dan, a guy that I've known for a long time. I know you have as well, Jay Sharman. Jay uh, used to have a, a website called Lake the Post. I, now, I hope I'm not blowing your cover here, Jay, uh, no, but no. <laughs> uh, everybody refers to to him as, as LTP, Lake the Post. Uh, and for those who aren't familiar with that saying or that term, just very quickly explain, what does Lake the Post mean? Oh, well, I, I would hope most folks listening here, R.H. Dave, know that. But back <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> prior to uh, Fitz, uh, Gary Barnett in 95 and the Fitz-led Wildcat resurgence, uh, when I was in school, any win that Northwestern had, uh, literally any win required ripping down the field goal posts and marching them to Lake Michigan. So in the fourth quarter in the student section, as we were winning, we the students would start cheering, Lake the Posts, Lake the Posts. And uh, never forget Gary Barnett, one of the first things he did is he cemented those field goal posts in a very uh, awesome TV campaign uh, <laughs> as part of the Expect Victory piece. So that's, that's the origin story of Lake the Post. Yes, he did. Well, the reason I wanted you to jump on with us for a couple of minutes was because it seemed like every place I went in Dublin, Jay, I ran into you. And I and I ran into Northwestern fans everywhere. It was really a I thought just a wonderful experience the whole week. But I wanted to get your take on it because you were right in the middle of it. Some of us were preparing for a game and working and all of that, but uh, you were you were out there with the uh, the masses, with the fans in the streets of Dublin. And I was just wondering what's what's the big takeaway for you from that entire experience of that uh, week in Dublin, Ireland. I mean, the debate of fans that went, uh, you know, for context, I had about 75 or 80 folks um, come on a trip with us that um, I have an email, Lake the Post email right now, and we had 75 or 80 folks come on the journey, and it was all mapped out. And at the end of the day, the big debate was Rose Bowl, Salt Lake City, and Dublin, and where does the Dublin trip right? It was that good of an experience for people. Um, and I think one of the interesting things, and, and you guys appreciate this, for those that have ever been to a sporting event in Indianapolis, like a Big Ten championship, um, or even like the Big Ten men's basketball tournament, 
Indy, the, the entire town is taken over by the event, and it just feels special. And I could not believe, and then curious to get your take on it, from the moment you walked off the plane, the entire Dublin airport was in red and white balloons and purple and white balloons. Like, the game took over the city. And I think one of the neat things, we did, you know, all the tourist things and, and had a ball, but seeing um, so many purple in that they took over a bar called um, Fitzsimons. It was a four-story bar, and they literally on the yes, outside... Yes, I'm, fam- I'm familiar with it, thanks to you, Jay. Yeah, <laughs> but for folks listening, right, it was so cool. The entire thing, the, the exterior was decorated with Coach Fitz's image, and it was in purple, and there was a roof deck, and it became the spot. They actually ran out of Guinness at one point. And so for those folks that knock Northwestern's travel contingent, um, apparently we know how to celebrate. So, you know, I mean, I just felt like you think about a city like Dublin where it would be a blip on the map, and I think the experience was amazing because you just had all of the locals kind of adopted Northwestern. Once they understood the sea of red that was there and that we were kind of the underdog and the smaller school, I can't tell you the amount of conversations we had with just local Irish folks who were very curious about the game and then came to the game and um, had a great time. So I just, the combination of Northwestern fans there and the locals and the music and the vibe, it was just incredible. Yeah, Jay, I think the one thing, especially at Fitzsimons, is I, I think they were a little understaffed, too. And definitely, you know, in the, in the day sitting up, it was hard to get a drink. And then after the game, it, it was nearly impossible. Obviously, we're there, and I'm shocked I didn't run into you or Dave. Um, but it was it was definitely a madhouse. But when you mentioned kind of the split between the fans. I, I couldn't really tell because I was up, obviously on the, the northwestern side and, and sitting right next to a bunch of my friends and, and Steve Schnur. Um, it seemed like, you know, I don't know, maybe this is me overreaching, but it was pretty, maybe 60-40. Obviously, looking across, it was all red. But on our side, it, it felt pretty purple. I don't, I don't know if you guys disagree with that. Yeah, I mean, there was, you know, it's one of those things, optics on TV are tough because, you know, I was like five rows behind Dave Ennett, right? And so we were looking at the Nebraska side. Yep. So every shot you saw on TV was red. And so it kind of, but yeah, there was, um, you know, I, I definitely maybe 60, 40 red, purple. Um, but what was fascinating, and I saw this happen in real time, and people think I'm making it up. I can't tell you the number of people, even in our section, like locals were literally buying purple shirts. Like non-Northwestern fans were like coming up to me, and they're in the, hey, you know, and, and they were interested about the game. And so even though the, it was probably 50-50, if you, because I – the local Irish, once they understood, you know, the underdog factor, they were rooting for us. And so that was kind of a compel when they weren't doing the, uh, the, the beer snake that was all over TV, but like, <laughs> yeah. so that, that was kind of an interesting dynamic. We definitely picked up, you know, it's kind of like when you're in Salt Lake city where we had so many Northwestern fans, but when we we're playing Gonzaga, everyone that wasn't a Gonzaga fan jumped on the bandwagon. So that was kind of cool. It was very cool. The whole thing. And, you know, sometimes you'll look at, an event like this and there'll be some some grumbling about well this didn't go like we planned or that that wasn't so good and uh and i'm sure i would have felt maybe a little different if uh, the football team hadn't stayed until monday so we had uh all day sunday to get out and enjoy dublin a little bit but mm-hmm. uh you know i i didn't really i can't look back at this and say there was one thing about it that i was disappointed in and i mean i think 
almost invariably when you travel in this day and age from flight delays lost luggage this and that and we flew charter granted but that doesn't mean you you don't have to deal with going through airports going through security going through customs and all that and i just thought the whole thing start to finish was so well planned out and and just so well executed i did want to ask you this jay i know that you you operate in some uh, some pretty important circles. I'm just wondering, who is the biggest celebrity you ran into in Dublin? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, well, I have to give a shout out to Morty. Um, Morty Shapiro, the Morty uh, Shapiro, president, um, whose you know last day is this, is Friday, I think. Um, but I think so. To that fit Simon's after the win. I mean, it looked like a for those of you that went to Northwestern, it looked like a glory days fraternity party on a Friday night. You could not move. It was so packed. And Morty came for like a victory lap. Up, and <laughs> it was just amazing. The, the fans were yelling onside kick, onside kick, the Northwestern <laughs> fans, and go UNU. It, and it just was one of those moments that that small school feeling, like here's the president having beers with friends and just kind of hanging out. Just, nice. I don't know, very pride-filling. But I would say um, – Seth Myers and his family, we had the Lake the Post tailgate and some of his friends were there. And, you know, I got a call um, from saying, hey, is it okay if Seth and his friends come over? So, you know, he, he came over with his, his mom and dad. That was the highlight of my trip. I don't know if you've ever seen Seth Myers on, has a bit on his show called Day Drinking, where he yeah. takes famous yeah. people out and goes day drinking. And there's an episode, the first episode was with his mom. And so his mom and dad were there. And I get to day drink with Seth Meyers' mom. So I have a picture of <laughs> with me and Seth's mom and Seth and Josh, his brother, who went to Northwestern. So that was probably and, – and i got to say this. like it, It's kind of a unique factor. You guys see it, right, with Fitz or, you know, Dane, even you, being a celebrity, you know, probably more so back in the day when you were playing. Um, it just – seeing a guy like Seth, people want their picture. He's so gracious. I mean, everyone wants a picture with him. And, and he's such a good guy and, you know – not only that, he is a diehard fan, like diehard fan. He, it's not like he's a – and I think that's one of the things about the Northwestern celebrities. They know their football, which I love. Yeah, that's a great point. And Dan and I were on stage with Seth at the uh, the pep rally at the Big Ten Championship game uh, back in 2018, as I remember. So yep. that, that was a lot of fun. Hey, Jay, I appreciate it. I, I'm going to let you go and just uh, – uh, just uh, I don't know. Contemplate Saturday's game, and I yeah, know I you're probably a basket case by now. Oh God! <laughs> so I, won't, I won't even ask you to get into it now. But uh, <laughs> we'll we'll see you at Ryan Field Saturday, and uh, we'll see if the Cats can get to two and zero. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Seven. Thank you. That's Jay Sharman. Okay. Uh, Lake the Posts. He's the founder of it. Uh, very successful sports marketing guy and and you alum and uh, very very cool uh, memories. I know we've gotten into last game a little more than maybe we will in future podcasts, but I just thought that this was such a unique experience. Uh, Dan, I mentioned earlier that uh, Kevin Johns, offensive coordinator, uh, with whom you're very familiar. But what about Duke? What 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 strikes you about this team as they come in here and obviously they're feeling good about what they did in their first game and a lot of similarities too. I mean, both teams 500 yards of offense, both quarterbacks played well, both teams avoided the turnovers that killed both of them last year. It just seems like this is kind of a a pretty even matchup going in. 
Yeah, I agree. And both teams had really rough years last year, right? So it's a lot to prove and, and a lot to, to step up on. But I, I agree with your point. I think both teams, especially on the offense, played really efficiently, um, which is which is a big statement for the for the first week of the year, like we talked about. Um, and, and Ted mentioned, obviously, Temple is, is a, I would think, a lesser opponent than Nebraska. But, you know, they, there weren't a lot of blips on that in that game for them. Um, they, they played almost flawlessly, and, and Temple really was never in the game. So, you know, I think if, if history shows anything, it's going to be a, a close game. And, and, you know, hopefully both teams play as efficiently as they did in, in, the, in the first game. So it's entertaining to watch. But I think Northwestern is favored by, by 10 right now, which, mm-hmm. which always scares me, right? <laughs> um, anytime they're, you know, big, big favorites at home, it's, it's, it's never a good thing. But, again, to Dad's point, I think the guys are, seem pretty focused and, and Fitz knows the history between these, these two teams. And they compete for a lot of different recruits. And, um, you know, the, the programs are, are rivals in a sense. So I think it's, it's important to the guys, and, and I, I bet they definitely want to carry that momentum forward. I want to hit a couple other games really quickly. Uh, Illinois, I don't know if you had a chance to watch them against Indiana last week after they uh, they got off to a good start against Wyoming in week zero, but then went to Indiana, had the lead throughout, looked like they were going to escape, uh, but uh, ended up giving up a touchdown in the closing seconds and uh, and losing to the Hoosiers. They've got an ACC opponent at home on Saturday, the Virginia Cavaliers going into Champaign. So, uh, pretty interesting test, I think, for Illinois to see how they bounce back from that uh, very disappointing finish against Indiana. Yeah, I think so. And and like you mentioned, another tough test with with Virginia, who's who's crawling back to, as a program as well. But um, you know, the, the Illinois coach Brett Brett Bielema has, has done a great job. Right, they're they're not a doormat anymore. They're a solid team and. The, the game against Indiana was was a tough fought game, and Indiana was frankly, in my opinion, luck, lucky to come out of there with a win. Mm-hmm. But I think Illinois is a talented team; they're going to continue to get better, and, and hopefully, they can take care of the Cavaliers. Yeah, I think we're at a point where you kind of look around, you see every team at this point has some some questions, some flaws. I mean, obviously, Ohio State didn't play their best offensively against a very good Notre Dame team last week, but they got the win. And uh, and Michigan's right behind them in the rankings this week at number four and playing Hawaii this week. What do you think about the quarterback rotation there with with Michigan, with uh, the uh, the changes and going back and forth between the two guys? Yeah, I think it's an interesting approach uh, for sure. But I, I I kind of understand where Coach Harbaugh is coming from. Right, it's it's really hard to pick a quarterback based on um, practice reps. Um, especially when you have a guy as dynamic as J.J. McCarthy back there because there's just things he'll do in games that he's, he typically can't in practice because, you know, no one's allowed to touch him. Um, so I think it's an interesting approach, right? They should handle, you know, these early teams like they did last weekend. Um, so to give guy the, each guy game reps and then make a decision off that, um, I think actually makes a lot of sense. It's unconventional. Um, but it just it probably, you know, pays tribute to the fact of, of you know, how talented J.J. McCarthy is, and, and they want to give him kind of a fair look before, you know, staying with, with their, their current quarterback. All right. Well, you know, one feature of collegiately speaking is the Super Joe pick of the week, and uh, I think we've come to that point where it is time for that prediction. So here we go. Prediction. Super Joe's Predictions. He's got All right, boys, music and yeah. everything. 
Yeah, our guy Ernie Scatton helped us out again this year with the open and the uh, the intro to the uh, you know to the the best bit on the on the podcast. Obviously, um, I, we we went through a couple of the matchups so far in the Big Ten. All fourteen teams in the conference are in action on Saturday. Just four of those fourteen teams are playing uh, a Power Five opponent. And there's just one rivalry game. The Cyhawk is taking place on Saturday. I'm not sure if you guys saw what happened with uh, Iowa and how they scored their seven total points yes. on Saturday. Oh, yes, I did. One field goal, two safeties. Yeah, totally brutal, Dan. Just unbelievable. Uh, so I am targeting that number. Uh, the total for the game between the Cyclones and the Hawkeyes is 40 points. You'd think I'd go under, but I'm going to go over. I think uh, Iowa kind of used that first game against the Jackrabbits to maybe hide some of their stuff. Uh, a rivalry game. These guys uh, get after it. The last 10 years, six times that the total has gone over over 40. So I'm pretty confident that Iowa gets back on track here and both teams combine for over 40 points. Well, I'll tell you, that it'll, they'll have to go some to do that. But I think you're right. I don't think we saw everything from Iowa last week. And uh, certainly if you're an Iowa fan, you're, you're hoping – you didn't, right? Um, two safeties. It was 3-3 at halftime, right? And then there was uh, safety in the third quarter, a safety in the fourth quarter. And again, that was against a very good FCS team. But still, South Dakota State, an FCS team. So, And you don't want to make national headlines for the wrong reasons either. You know, you don't want people, like I was just looking it up, and A.J. McCarron's talking about Iowa and how they only scored seven points. Like, when you turn on ESPN, you want to see highlights, not lowlights. So I think these guys will come in motivated, and then obviously the double motivation because the, the trophy's on the line. Um, I, I just, you, obviously you see seven points, you want to go under the next game, but I, I can see it going against the grain. Iowa has won that game six straight times as they play for the Cyhawk on uh, on Saturday at Kinnick Stadium. And uh, in Evanston, it's Northwestern and Duke. Not playing for a trophy this week, but uh, it's a rivalry that goes back a ways. Uh, Dan Persa played a lot of those games against the Blue Devils. I remember one at night, Dan, if, if I recall, at Ryan Field. It maybe didn't go too well. Yeah. Am I remembering that correctly? Oh. Yeah, that was I was retroing that year in 2007, and yeah. that was that was definitely a, a low point in my experience. Well, in Northwestern. Hopefully, it'll be a better day for you and for the Wildcats on uh, on Saturday. And uh, again, it's an 11 o'clock kickoff. You can hear it on WGN Radio. We get started at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. Dan, it's been fun. Good to have you back on this side of the ocean, and we will see you out in Evanston on Saturday. Absolutely, looking forward to it. That's Dan Persa. I'm Dave Ennett. Many thanks to Super Joe, Joe Romano, uh, Ted Albrecht, also Jay Sharman for jumping in. We will talk to you again next week on Collegiately Speaking.